This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl, and my guest this week is Nick Zeisler, a.k.a. Z. Z holds the CCXP from uh, 2019 from CXPA and is a certified Agile Scrum Master, a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt, a keynote speaker, a lecturer, facilitator, moderator, and his capacity as a reservist is a professor of mathematics and statistics at the U.S. Air Force Academy. His new book right here is We're Doing CX Wrong and How to Get It Right, which we'll discuss here in a little bit, outlines his approach and CX framework. Nick Zeisler, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Thanks, Nick. It is great to be back, and I'll recycle the old joke. Two Nicks, that's a, a bad day shaving. It's a bad day shaving, exactly. Or a good day uh, for CX. Yeah, press one for Nick and press two for Nick. Yeah. There it is. So one question I ask every single guest at the very beginning is, what's one thing people might not know about you? I am not six foot nine feet tall. <laughs> Inside joke between me and Nick. So that is also true. And he is officially six foot nine when he's sitting on a small pony and also an inside joke. But let's talk about your book. Why? Why we're doing CX wrong and how to get it right. Why? Why this book and why now? Yeah, sure. The 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 whole purpose of the book originally was was mostly self serving. I as as an independent consultant, and and having had several different iterations of Zeisler Consulting over the years, going back into corporate uh, in, into a corporate mode and then back out again, I was I hit the ground running and was ready to deliver from an executive from a fractional chief customer officer position. The same sort of thing that I was doing in my last corporate gig, which was let's build out an entire CX function. I had built out a, a you know a framework, you know a whole a whole McKinsey type of hey here there's these three moving parts and so forth and this is how it is and so my original idea was well I need to get this out there for like legitimacy purposes almost mm-hmm. here's here's what you'd get if you if you hire Z I used to call it a, a three dimensional CV right so Z tell us about how you would approach it tell us tell us how you do this. And so I said, okay, well, I just put it out in a book and that'd be, that'd be easier than having to elevate or pitch it and explain it. And the thing about it is, is the more I started writing it and the more I started thinking about the interactions that I'm having with you and other CX professionals and people that are in the game as well, is that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that this framework would address from a more fundamental perspective that if it's framed in terms of, look, if you're not satisfied with what's going on in your CX efforts in your CX program, however you want to define it within your company, this is an approach that will work. Moreover, it addresses most of the shortcomings that you might be experiencing in, in, in trying to get it done yourself. So I highlight a lot of Here's, here's, here's a stupid thing that we do. Here's a dumb thing that we do. Here's a mistake that people are making when it comes to CX. Yeah. It all boils down to the same root cause, which I imagine we'll get to here in a minute. And then, by the way, I just, <laughs> as any good consultant would do, oh, and thanks for asking. I just 
happen to have an answer and sell it as, you know, as, as, as um, you know, my framework. And, and here it is. So it kind of lines it out. It's a bit of a how-to. I say it's part manifesto, part cookbook. I love it. So CX is, is fairly new, right? I mean, as, a, as people are starting to get excited about it now more than ever, but why or how are people doing it wrong today? Well, I'll, I'll boil it down again then to the root cause. Mm-hmm. People are getting it wrong in a lot of ways because when you start off doing it for the wrong reason, there's any number of ways you can screw it up in, in execution when it comes to actually you know, doing it and putting, you know, putting boots on the ground. Yep. The reason people are doing it wrong is because they're doing it for the wrong purpose. You know, I'm a big Simon Sinek guy. Start with why. The reason we should be doing CX in any organization, in any company, on behalf of any brand, should be for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to eliminate, or strive to at least, eliminate the gap that might exist between your customers' experiences and your brand promise. Hmm. If we do that, then we will have delivered on CX. And I don't want to talk about, well, I'll talk about it because that's what everybody else wants to talk about it about ROI and about sales and how if you're quote unquote doing CX, it's going to you know result in this and that with your revenue and your market share and so forth. All right, right. But don't come here and say, oh, I want to do CX so that I can increase my sales and then turn around to your entire internal team as the CEO or the chief customer officer and say, customers are number one to us. Mm-hmm. Well, you just said... <laughs> that they're not number one to you. They're just the people who are bringing you the money. And sure, you love your customers and in the same way that my dog loves me. And I've got that kibble in my hand every time. So it's about more strategically placing it, which is good for several reasons. First of all, if you do CX in order to provide that ROI, if you do CX in order to increase your sales, increase your revenue, you're making a few mistakes. The first is that it's based on a false premise in the first place. I've seen, and, and Nick, I know you've read too, the papers and you know the white papers and, and the reports and this and that, you know, CX expert company comes out with, hey, here's, here's how we have proven that companies that do CX realize greater profits and realize, you know, greater revenue and so forth. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I hate to tell you this, but as you alluded to, I am a professor of statistics. Now, I'm not the smartest professor, but a lot of the mistakes that are made, a lot of the glossing over, a lot of, quite frankly, the BS that goes into some of these reports with uh, self-reporting, with poor definitions of terms, with a complete uh, ignoring of compounding factors, really, it wouldn't withstand the scrutiny of a grad school uh, statistics course, quite frankly. So it starts off with a, with a false premise. If you buy into the belief that doing CX, quote unquote, and that, and, and more specifically, because I've heard people promise this, one point of NPS is equivalent to 3% increase in profit or whatever, you know, someone's going to actually come along and promise you that, you're really setting yourself up for, for disappointment, right? Um, the second problem with, with, Chasing the ROI, as, as, as folks will say, is, and I alluded to, alluded to it before, you're going to turn yourself into a bit of a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Because if you had to be convinced as the CEO to do CX based on the promise that you're going to get these you know, overwhelming, just like it's going to rain money into your company. Well, 
don't tell me it's all about your customers at that point. They're a means to an end is is all there is. And 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 furthermore, the last the last point about this is I get off my my soapbox here in a second. I promise. I'll 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 remount it here in a minute too. I suppose. But is is that you'll get one bite at that apple because good luck trying it again if it doesn't actually work. In fact, if you do CX for the ROI reason and it doesn't quite turn out that way. Anytime anybody hears you talk about customers before, they're going to know what you mean. They're going to know you want the customers who are bringing you the money, and, and that's all it is. And you're not going to be able to sincerely go after it from a strategic perspective again mm-hmm. and say, no, 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 this time I really do mean that our customers are the, are the driving factor here. It's like, okay, well, you said that before the last time. People can read through it and they know it. Yeah. I, I just had a call an hour before this, and it's a Fortune 100 company who says, we believe in CX, comma, but right? <laughs> revenue is first. And so what's your, what's your thoughts on that statement? Well, look, I'll tell you what, Nick, you can't throw a rock out a window without hitting a CX consultant who will promise you those sorts of returns. And I, a lot of my friends in the, you know, I mean, I, I swim in these waters and a lot of my friends and I, and I, and I wish you all the best. That's, that's awesome. And oftentimes it does work because satisfying your customers does really go hand in hand. I'm not suggesting that that logic doesn't work at all, that take care of your customers and they'll come back, take care of your customers, they'll continue to buy from you, take care of your customers, they'll bring their friends when they come and their friends will also buy from you. I'm not pretending that that's not the case. But I view CX from the same, through a similar prism as I would view any other fundamental function with inside a successful corporation. You think of HR, and that's the example, the analog that I always use. Your chief HR officer, your chief people officer, your head of HR does not have to defend his or her existence within your corporate organization. What's the ROI on having HR? That's not a question that comes up. Now, obviously, HR has a budget. HR, you know, you can't just like go to every one of the uh, career fairs and hope that it works out that you can't just dump, you know, unending bonuses on all of your employees. I mean, Nick, surely you do, but I mean, you can't necessarily do that in in the world of physics in which we live. So there are limitations for sure, but there's not this existential, well, defend why we should do HR because everybody intrinsically understands that a well-functioning organization invests in finding, recruiting, uh, onboarding, maintaining, developing, and rewarding good talent. It's just understood that that's how it works. Well, when you approach CX with the why, you know, the Simon Sinek why of the whole reason you should do it is to align your customers' experiences with your brand promise. Okay, well, success there is uh, measured in its own terms. Are we aligned with our brand promise? Are our customers telling us that we're aligned with our brand promise? And if you are, then CX has done its job. You mentioned brand promise. Is that similar to your vision, mission, and values, or is that separate from your perspective? Yeah, that's that's really all uh, derivative of the same place. 
I, I yeah. throw the word brand promise around and I'm not a marketer. And so marketers are like cringing and, and <laughs> chewing their own teeth when they hear some jackass like me talk about brand promise. Blah, blah, blah. I, I'm not suggesting I know anything about marketing, nor am I suggesting that I've invented this brilliant new thing. Right. But when I say brand promise, what I mean is just just what you said, Nick, it's your mission, your vision, your corporate values, your principles. It is all of that wrapped up in in kind of a bit of a marketing patina around it, which is what role do we as an organization want to play in the lives, the daily lives of our of our customers? And you can boil it down to things that are that are pretty transactional, like, well, we want to be the ease of use brand. We want to be the discount brand. We want to be the luxury brand. We want to be the highest quality, that sort of thing. We want to be the always on time, there, you know, reliable brand, whatever it might be. Okay, well, that's what you're doing. You're selling widgets, you're providing whatever service, but what how are you delivering that to your customers? It should reflect, Nick, it should reflect your mission and vision and your values and principles, but there's a little bit more to it because it also brings into account, well, how is it that you expect your customers to experience interactions with your brand? And when, when you see it that way, talk of an entire customer journey and talk about how it's bigger than just the contact center, talk about how it's bigger than just customer support and customer service, because that's always a struggle yeah. too. How is CX different from CS? Well, let me tell you the ways, right? Uh, but it's all founded in the, on those same principles and those same concepts. And this is how you turn it into real life on behalf of your customers. I, I love that. You talk earlier, you touched a little bit about the ROI and you're like, ah, oh, for crying out loud. Love it when people wait. I say that wasn't how you said it. Uh, so what are your <laughs> thoughts on chasing the ROI? Like just initial thoughts, gut reaction, but then what, what's your thoughtful reaction after that? I, I, I would ask somebody who wants to talk about the ROI. I'll, I'll use, I'll fall back on, on the HR analogy again. And I'll say, mm -hmm. we're going to go out and we're going to hire an engineer to work in our product division. All right. What's the ROI on that? I mean, can you tie out that person's, what it costs to recruit that person, what it costs to pay that person, what it costs to onboard that person, what it costs to reward that person for a job well done, what it costs mm -hmm. to uh, develop that person by, by supplying him or her with access to new certifications and, and learning new things about whatever the, the expertise might be. Okay, add that all up on one side of the ledger, Nick. And then say, okay, and this person is X percent responsible for an improvement in sales in this way, that way. There is no other, other than sales, other than sales, there is no other part of your organization that would quite so literally, and I think cravenly, try to tie out its own existence. I mean, even finance, when you think about it. Yeah, finance, you're like, well... What's the ROI in finance? Well, we wouldn't have collected these payments from our customers and from our clients. We wouldn't have, you know, we'd have late fees as a result of, you know, just someone down the hall trying to pay off all the bills on time if it weren't for having a, a CFO. Well, but that's not part of the pitch as to why you have a CFO. You know you have to have it because it's intrinsic and it's fundamental and it's part of a well-operating organization right? The CFO doesn't turn and say, here's why you need to have me and my organization because these are the amounts of bills that we paid last quarter, right? I don't know why. And here's the thing. My next book, Nick, <laughs> is going to be called, If CX is Dead, We're Kind of Responsible. And when we as CX professionals buy into the, we have to demonstrate this ROI on what we, on what we do, what I have is flashbacks of TQM 
And, and for that matter, Six Sigma, I'm a, I'm a lean Six Sigma black belt, but I'll be the first to tell you that, yeah, there are a lot of people who treated it as some sort of flash in the pan, and this is the new shiny object, and it's going to answer all of our problems. Well, in those instances, and I see this happening in the CX, in the CX world, when we buy into it as CX professionals, I know we have some folks that are, that are here today that are just about to get their CCXPs and or, or, or maybe most very recently have. When we as professionals who have a responsibility to represent our, our craft, if you will, uh, as professionals, when we buy into that, well, we're kind of setting ourselves up and painting ourselves in a picture and, oh, by God, you had darned well better deliver on that ROI that you're promising because otherwise you're going to end up in the trash heap with all the other silver bullets that didn't quite deliver on all of their promises either. Good luck again. And I alluded to this earlier, good luck trying to do it down the road and say, no, no, no I really mean it this time. <laughs> I don't know why you're poking in every other department. Uh, you're supposed to stick in CX and fight against that. You're not supposed to get in everybody else's department and say, why are you poking questions at me? Actually, I, <laughs> are you setting me up, Nick? Because you know, CX never, is supposed I've never to be, set you up. CX is enterprise-wide and uh, integrated. CX should absolutely play a role in every bit and part of your organization, which is quite frankly why it needs to be a C-suite uh, function and operation, why there needs to be a chief uh, customer officer. And more important than that, even I'd say, why the CCO and the office of the customer need to have top level support and buy-in. I see, uh, and, and, and I think it's true, I think it's accurate in a, in a, in a fair requirement that your CX people all the way from your chief customer officer through the entire organization of your office of the customer need to be diplomatic. They need to be somebody who can you know, work well with others and and work between silos and 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 uh, you know team team effort and all this. And I absolutely believe that. But if that's what you're counting on, by the way, mm -hmm. Nick, to make it actually work, I think you're going to be pretty disappointed in what the actual impacts are. The CX organization's main function is making changes and making improvements and changing the way that you do what you do so as to drive that brand promise alignment. That's going to involve and entail, hey, knocking on doors and saying, this is a great little product organization you got going over here. Um, seems as though our customers are having a problem with this or that aspect of the product right? I say that uh, there's a great sign of CX maturity in an organization. If the chief customer officer can look across the meeting table to the CFO and say, hey, so um, what we're finding from our customer insights division is that uh, we're really falling short on the ease of use brand promise mm -hmm. in our billing process. So which of my black belts should speak with whoever is in charge of a billing process over there so that we can correct that. And because the CFO is used to having all the say, right? Telling everybody what they can and cannot afford. It's a sign of great maturity if the culture uh, of, especially of the executive leadership team is such that the chief customer officer feels at liberty in, in a diplomatic way, naturally, of saying, hey, I need to come into your kitchen and, and start messing around with your pots and pans. <laughs> so you did touch on culture a little bit. What does that have to do with CX? It is. I, I came up with. I'm gonna. Tr I'm gonna try it right here on your podcast. First, this this is the first place it's coming out. So I'm trying a new analogy here. In CX, 
to get it right. VOC, customer insights, that's the gas of your engine, right? You need that because you need that fuel to understand where you're falling short in your brand promise. Mm -hmm. Process engineering, which is making improvements, making changes, improving and, and developing and, and, and perhaps building from scratch your processes and how you do business and how you do what you do. Process engineering, that's the, and that's the motor itself. That's the engine. And CX culture, customer-centric culture, is the oil. That's what keeps it all going. It needs to be, and and uh, it, it needs to be present. And I'll tell you, I being a military guy, being an analyst and a statistician, you know, I'm probably all about culture, right, Nick? I mean, with a with a pedigree like that, lean six sigma black belt. I'm an analyst. I'm an agile scrum coach. I'm I'm, you know, for me, it's but you all are. About yeah, yeah. And for me, it's all about people and, and developing relationships and so forth, right? So when I, when I first started as, as director of, of CX um, at, at HP years ago, I was like, you know, I got to work on this, on, on this culture. And I didn't mean I got to work on this culture like there was something wrong. It was like culture's yeah. got to be a part of it. So I can't just be this awesome Lencioni leader, <laughs> right? I needed a checklist and know to do this and this and this. And so the more I thought about it, the more I realized that there are, even if you're a jerk manager, even if you don't have what it takes to be a good people person, there are efficiency, just cold-hearted business reasons why you should take care of your people because it's more effective and efficient when they have all the tools and when they have the authority to use all the tools. So as I was thinking, I was building, like I said, my little McKinsey framework, of, you know, something that's sellable, right? I, uh, I came up with, with what I call the three E's. And that is that your organization, in order to, to demonstrate a CX uh, customer-centric culture, it has to, be, it has to uh, enable empower and encourage. So all the all the members of your team need to be enabled, empowered and encouraged. Enabled which is to say they have all the tools that they need. They have access your CRM's not not a you know a train wreck you you give them the tools that they need. Um, it's it's kind of like table stakes sort of thing. You know we can't do that is not an answer that you ever want to have to give to to a customer. Another uh, answer you don't want to have to give to a customer is, well, I can't do that, so I have to escalate it. So that's where empowerment comes in. You have to drive down authority to use those tools once you've enabled your employees. Drive down that authority to use them to the, to the level that's closest to the customer is absolutely possible. You'll never get rid of escalations altogether, obviously, but you have to make make it so that your employees have the authority to use them. So it's enablement, empowerment, and then encouragement. And encouragement sure is t-shirts and uh, keychains and banners and, you know, buying a copy of an awesome new book that just came out for everybody in your, uh, in your team. Yes. So there's that, but there's also just the, the overwhelming power of walking the talk. When your teams see that you're not only collecting the voice of the customer, that you're analyzing it, looking for, looking for root causes aligned with your strategy of brand alignment, and then taking action on that, that makes a lot of a difference because people hear what you do even more loudly than they hear what you say. So there's, there's the encouragement, which is like, we're going to reward and recognize people who, who really embrace our customer-centric culture. But then there's also those things that are going on constantly that if they see the bosses 
uh, embracing this customer centricity that they know that that's that that makes a difference to them. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Yeah, so you're saying the old saying, actions speak louder than words are true? They, they, they certainly do, Nick. Love it. So chapter nine of the book, towards the end of the book, you say, you have some parting words to the CEO. And if you, if a CEO is talking or listening right now and you had 60 seconds in front of them, what would you say? I, I wouldn't really say as much as I'd ask them. I say, why do you want to do CX and what does CX mean to you? And there may be, there may be, I don't call it confusion because it's not like I'm standing at this great height of six foot, nine inches, right. And looking down and like, I have all the answers. I don't mean, I don't mean there may be a mis, misconception, but um, a lot of people really do confuse CX with CS. They confuse customer experience with customer support, customer care, customer service, customer success. They confuse it with, with marketing and, and, and sales and so forth. So um, we could chat about that, but mostly I'd say, does, what does CX mean to you? What's, what's the purpose of it? How does it, you know, what's it supposed to do? You know, I, had, uh, I have a friend who is, uh, who's a, who's a speech coach. <laughs> Obviously, I need to spend more time with him. <laughs> you say, if you're going to give a talk, you should think about how do you want the people uh, that you're, that are receiving this talk to, what do you want them to think, feel, or do differently, right? And I kind of go back to that. When I talk to an executive and they say, well, we want to quote unquote do CX. I said, well, why? What do you want to be different? What, I mean, there's something that's itching you right now and maybe everything's cool, but you want it to be better. Or maybe you, you see a cliff coming and you want to avoid it. Or maybe you already went off the cliff and you're trying to recover. Why do you want to do it in the first place? If they say, well, because we want to increase our sales, we want to increase our, 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 our financial performance. I say, I have a lot of friends and I can help you and, and point you towards any one of those and, and they will love to, to deliver it on that. I uh, said, so, but if you want to look beyond that, if you believe that this is something that's intrinsic to what you do, then let's talk and let's make it something that's actually internalized within your organization. The beauty is, the beauty is you'll probably do better financially if that's, if that's your approach anyway. I love it. Good stuff. That's much more than 30, 60 seconds, but it was, we left, it was like we left the notion. We left yeah. the notional discussion long ago when I just said I'd ask them what they want. You've been on your horse this entire time. <laughs> Not so, my little pony. <laughs> so I ask every single guest two questions. And I know you've you've been here before, so you're the veteran uh, asking, knowing what's coming. But what book or person in customer service or customer experience has influenced you the most in the past year? Question number one. Question number two is if you could leave a note to all customer service professionals, it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m. What would it say? Uh, start with the book is uh, and book and person is is Dan Dan uh, Genghis, who 
to whom I am undyingly grateful, not only for, for listening to me chat, we're both kind of going through um, these awesome growth periods in, in, in our careers at the same time. He has just uh, published this book uh, uh, just this year, uh, a, a new book um, called Experience Maker. It's a great book. I recommend everybody pick it up. I know you're nodding along. I know you probably read it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it s- lines out his his wise or wiser uh, formulation. It's always got to be a word or some sort of uh, uh, you know acronym. rhyming thing. Yeah, yeah or an acronym. <laughs> but uh, it, it's great. And then he's been incredibly supportive too. Uh, I, I recommend it that y'all check him out. If you're not, I can't believe anybody isn't yet, um, but uh, he's, he's a great help. And the note, I think probably says the same thing that the note said when I was here the last time, and that's do something. But I would amend that. And I would say, do something meaningful, which is to say, my mantra had been for so long, don't just collect voice of the customer, right? I mean, this is the old Nate Brown thing, right? It's like, it's not the end of your CX journey. It's the beginning. I say it's the fuel to your engine. You've got to do something with it. But I would emphasize, and we talked about it so much just in this in this quick chat that we had uh, today, it's got to be for the right reason. Do something, but do something that will advance your brand promise bring alignment between what your customers are experiencing when they're interacting with your brand and what you mean for them to be experiencing when they interact with your brand. I love it. There was a, a lot of a lot of information in a little bit of time. Um, I will, for those who don't know on the podcast, I do have uh, a few people in the audience on the Zoom call and I will open it up for questions if anybody has any. You just answered every single question known to man. I think the fear is that if they bring up a question, they won't be able to shut me back up again. Well, my thought is- I don't want to be responsible for everybody missing dinner because I asked the professor a question and he went on. Exactly. And how do you, it's so intimidating when you're on a horse and you got to look up to somebody that entire time. That's right. Six foot nine. Did I I see somebody? Yep. Go ahead, Dave. So- Talking about integrating CX all the way through the C-suite, as Carol knows, I used to run our call center at our facility, uh, and it was difficult getting it all the way through the C-suite. It went. I was in the service department at that time when we ran it, and it was up through our service department very well, up through that president. But beyond that, I'm not sure it was integrated well in our C-suite uh, beyond that. We would inject things into engineering when we found issues and so forth, but getting it from customer service into the sales side of things, there was a big stone wall that I never broke through. So, uh, Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, actually, Dave, that's a great question. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm actually quite sympathetic to that. My first gig as a CX executive, I worked in CS. I was in customer service and support as well. And what I recognized was, and of course, this was a huge international corporation too. And I recognized where I was, I wasn't going to be able to turn the key on, oh, you know what our customers are telling us is this design of our product needs to change. And so I'm going to just march right into the chief product officer and explain how it is that he needs to change you know, the engineering of what it is that we're building out. So I think, first of all, it's important to I'm not going to say satisfy yourself with that, but recognize, okay, if I'm in CS, then I can improve what's going on in CS, right? And I want to make sure that I'm measuring how well 
CS is delivering on its promise. A huge problem, especially if you got this huge brand like I was working with, is that there's so many things along a customer journey. There's so many things that are external to the to the brand itself that it'll impact somebody's, for example, uh, impression of a brand. And so when you're using something like an NPS, which of course you shouldn't be using anyway, uh, and, and say, well, how likely are you to buy from, from us again? So, well, yeah, your customer support was awesome, but that I had to call customer support makes me not want to buy from your brand. Well, don't use that as your, your measuring stick. Don't use that as your metric. Are you, is your customer support, customer service, and, and this works no matter what part of the organization you're in, is what you're doing advancing your brand promise? And if it is, that's the measure that you should be looking at. So Dave, there's when people start seeing that, I think it'll make a difference. It's a longer road that way. It's easy for me to say, hey, well, it should be your CEO because that's that's who I deal with, <laughs> right? But if you're trying to do it from inside, make your world better by making your function within the organization, as you say it is, dedicated to CX. Congratulations. I'm glad that it is working in there. Uh, leverage that and, and tout that. Eventually, some folks are going to notice. Somebody in product is going to say this. And, and by the way, you want to be diplomatic, but at the same time, uh, if product group realizes that their product is causing dissatisfaction and that you're catching all of their errors, well, that should be something that should interest them, if nothing else. Love it. Um, looks like we got a couple of other people off mute. Uh, we got maybe time for one, maybe two, depending on how long-winded Nick Zeisler is. Um, but please uh, ask that one more question or two. Hey, Nick, this is Jason. I got a question for you. And actually, sort of, it's a play on what you asked and answered sort of in the past few minutes. So let me ask you this is your question to a CEO is why do you want to do customer experience? Nick, my question to you now is why do you love CX and why do you do CX? Wow. Well, that's, well, that's a challenge. Uh, I'll tell you what, I have been in the world of process engineering for a long, long time. I mean, I started off the roots in, in the military, in operations research. And when I left full-time military and became a reservist, my first civilian full-time going to go and, 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 and wear a shirt and tie every day. Well, you remember those days uh, was, was, was at, uh, was at Dell computers in, in um, Austin, Texas. And that's where I was introduced to Six Sigma, which is basically improving things in the same way that I'd been doing in, in the, in the military that kicked off that part of my career. And I love it. I'm, I'm nerdy analytical. I like seeing improvements and I like improvements uh, made. Uh, but one of the struggles that I always had as a Lean Six Sigma practitioner was challenging and explaining to leadership that once you get there, once you make an improvement, the wrong thing to do is therefore say, wow, look at how efficient we've made all of our processes. You people, we don't need anymore. And then just fire everybody because that's that's nobody shrinks their way to growth, you know? And so that's a constant struggle for those of us who are true believers in process engineering and process improvement. When I was introduced to the idea by my former boss who had hired me to be the director of CX because of my experience as a, as a process engineer, I said, okay, that's awesome. But what does that have to do with it? And he said, Z, I want to leverage your expertise in process engineering 
to make our customers' experiences better. And I was like, oh, wow. I was like, I was act, Nick, you'll love this. I was actually speechless. It was such an aha moment for me. It was such an inspiration. I was like, that is even because here, here's an executive who wants to hire me. Here's an executive who doesn't only not want to improve stuff so that he can fire people. He wants to improve stuff for like this great cause of making his customers' experiences better, which by the way, is good for business, right? Uh, so it, it, it's, it, it went from like, hey, I just like turning, turning knobs and making things more efficient. That's fun. It's elegant to see something move more efficiently to, you know what I could actually do is make people's experiences better and not have to fight against someone who wants to say, great, thanks for making things better. And we're going to lay off a whole bunch of people. I don't know, Jason, hopefully that answers the question you had. Yes, it was, was pretty good. Now I understand why you're six foot nine. <laughs> he and said pretty person. good. He would. He didn't say it was amazing. He just said pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I'd like uh, to know what Dave came up with over the time that I he started that <laughs> stopwatch. When <laughs> it's definitely three minutes and forty six seconds. <laughs> uh, well, Z, I appreciate your time as always. Uh, appreciate the people who jumped on today. Uh, Z, what's the best way if somebody wants to buy this? book we're we're doing cx wrong and how to get it right and or how to get a hold of you hit me up on linkedin it's z as in zeisler e-i-s-l-e-r and it's a zeisler consulting i think is the backsplash uh the backslash on that if you're listening to this you know nick and nick and i are connected so just search for other nicks <laughs> love it well i appreciate your time again and uh looking forward to the next conversation yep thanks so much nick good to be here Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.